Kyle's and Kaylee's here too. Say hi, Kaylee. And we're so glad to be with you this morning, this beautiful Easter morning. Let's start off with prayer. We welcome you here, Father God, and we welcome you here, Jesus, the Son, our risen Lord, and we welcome you here, Holy Spirit. We thank you that even though we are separated by physical distance right now, that we can still gather together in the Spirit. We praise you um, for how amazing and awesome you are and everything that you do. We thank you most of all today Lord Jesus, that you died for us to pay the penalty for our sin and make a way for us to be able to be adopted into God's family. And we praise you and thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. And we're going to have the recitation of the scripture now, the Easter scripture that Kaylee is going to do for us. Kaylee, where is this in the Bible? Um, It, was, it wasn't a quiz. Uh, okay, go ahead. Tell us what happened on the first Easter morning. After the Sabbath at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary <clears throat> went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake for an angel of, angel of the Lord came down from heaven, going to the tomb, rolled back the stone, and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and the snow was white as his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples he has risen and is going to Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried off, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. He said, greetings. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped clasped his feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. Good job, sweetie. That was a really long passage. So Jesus rose from the dead. Mm -hmm. And he told the people at the tomb, the ladies who were there, Mary Magdalene, she went and told the apostles. I can't imagine what it was like to finally admit and realize and understand that Jesus had risen. They must have been really excited. I'm really excited, and it's a really long time ago. I'm still excited. Let's sing and praise the Lord for who he is, especially today. I believe in the sun. I believe in the risen one.
seated on your couch or wherever you are watching this right now. Um, so welcome again to Lydia House this morning. Check out our website www.lydiahousechurch.org. CJ has probably put that on the screen. Thanks by the way CJ for all your work with the technical stuff and getting us rolling during this lockdown, quarantine, whatever you call it, period of time. Um, we're, we're trying our best. We appreciate your patience. And I'm sure, like it has been for us, it's been a little bit of a shock and a difficulty for you guys. So just know that we're praying for you. And if you have specific prayer requests, please let us know, because um, we'd like to be praying for that. Uh, a couple quick announcements. Um, it would help us out greatly if you could post and repost and share things like on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, that sort of thing. Uh, posting in, on social media is really helpful for getting the word out about the service, not only to our own people, but to other people who might want to check it out. So please share it and comment and like and all those fun things. Um, giving can still happen and that's important as well. And that also obviously really helps us out. Um, on the website, you can go there and there's instructions on how to give donations, tithes and offerings. 
I want to read you an update from Pastor Dowson. Um, we started a mission organization a couple years ago called Harvest Water Africa, and we primarily help um, people in East Africa, the poorest areas of the world, actually, um, particularly with fresh water for drinking, sanitation, and also for farming. And we've been working with Pastor Dowson down in Busabadia area of southern Uganda for a couple of years now, and it's a great partnership. And last year we were able to plant 120 banana farms uh, at churches and individuals' homes, both um, one quarter acre farms. And Pastor Dowson wanted to give me an update on how those were going, particularly right now, because the coronavirus situation is has hit Uganda too, just like everybody else. And so they're on lockdown, so people can't work. And these are folks who, if they're fortunate, make enough money in a day's work to get food for that day. That's a, that's a good day in places like this. And now they can't work at all. And so it's really, really difficult on the area. And so they need our prayer. But he wanted to let us know how this was affecting the people who had planted the banana farms, 120 places last year. Dear Nate and Lydia House, I want to testify to the Lord that none of the people to whom we distrib distributed the bananas has been affected badly during this lockdown due to hunger. I am getting calls from many pastors who used to depend only on church offertory saying, teach me how to plant bananas so, to save them for such a time if it comes again. Sorry, I'm partially translating as we go here. His English is good, um, but I'm trying to make it a little more clear. Um, I want to let you know that the donation you gave towards the bananas growing and the farms did not only meet a need, but it resulted also in thanksgiving to God. You're a small church with a big heart. And without you, I wouldn't have been able to help many. We know everyone is stressed financially right now, but if grace to help others is available to your people, I would appreciate it. So he's saying they could plant some more farms right now. Um, due to those uh, who have benefited from the banana growing and others seeing that, I have received so many people and so many pastors saying, help us to plant farms too and have bananas so that we can eat. Um, he's got a list of 28 pastors and 33 women who urgently need this kind of help instead of handouts. And that's something that we really believe in. We wanna teach people how to grow their own food, teach them how to get their own water in ways that are safe and in ways that can build up the family and build up the community. And this is a great testimony because he's saying, hey, this is happening. And especially now, it's such a crazy time to have those 120 farms already planted. It's really, really, being an example to a lot of people and a witness. And they're like, how did you do this? And they're like, oh, the church helped because it turns out Jesus doesn't want us to starve to death. And it's an incredible testimony to other people there. So please pray if God would put that on your heart. It only costs $100 to put in a one quarter acre banana farm at a church or um, with a woman in one of the villages. You might say, why women and not men? But that's part of our vision as well, is to particularly help women and girls in these areas because they're the ones who are needing it. Um, let's pray. I'd like to pray for Pastor Dowson in Uganda, and I have a couple other prayer needs here as well. So if you could just set everything else down for a few moments and join me in prayer. Father, we, we know that we're going through a difficult time right now, some of us more than others, but there are places in the world where it is really, really difficult right now, where they just, just plain don't have food. And in areas where that's the norm, a situation like this is catastrophic. 
And so, Father God, we pray for your grace and your mercy on Uganda. Uh, we pray for your grace on Pastor Dowson. Continue to give him ideas, give him boldness, um, give him protection and safety for him and his wife and all his kids, some of whom still live at home and others are off in college. And we pray that you would bless and watch over all of them and that you would continue to give him favor among the people there, that they would want to join this effort in what it is you're doing to try to raise up um, the, the poorer cultures there in that area of Uganda, as well as Northern Uganda, where we work with others. And we pray for the um, refugee camp, the Rohingya refugee camp in Bangladesh, where um, Sarah's sister Rachel works. She's been with us a couple times. Um, we're concerned about that place right now due to coronavirus. If that were to really take hold there with people in such close quarters, there's no social distancing, there's no good medicine. It would, it's unthinkable what might happen to those million people in that refugee camp. So Father God, I pray for your protection on those people. Father God, send, send your angels, whatever needs to happen, Lord. We just loose that power and that protection right now in Jesus' name over that refugee camp um, in Bangladesh on Rachel and the others with World Vision who are there overseeing that. And we pray too for those who are stuck abroad. I know some of us have, have children or relatives who are trying to get home and aren't able to, and I pray that you would make a way for them to be able to come home. And we pray for us here in the U.S., Lord, and I, I hope you help us to keep the more vulnerable people and populations on our mind, Lord, the elderly people in our neighborhood or in our family who need help. Help us to, to get out there and help them, to see, see what they need, and allow us to uh, be a part of meeting those needs for those vulnerable folks. Um, we pray also for prisons and native reservations and homeless shelters, these places where very few protections exist, where social distancing isn't a real thing um, or can't actually happen like in a prison or a homeless shelter and so father god we pray your protections on these places and i pray that you would remind us holy spirit to continue to pray for these places and i pray that your wisdom would reign among the leaders in these places that they would um, follow what it is that you're directing them to do and i pray for our own healthcare workers as well father god um, my wife sarah is a doctor and Audrey um, is a nurse, and Isaiah uh, works um, in management at the hospital um, facilities. And so they're all working and risking their own health and the health of their own families every day that they go to work. And so, Father God, we pray protection and grace on them in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's continue to worship the Lord. can stand if you want or you can sit or you if you're lying in bed that's cool whatever for me it helps to stand and worship even if I'm not in church because it just gets me in that right headspace and so if that's you I welcome you to stand and join us as well so as we continue our worship we think about what Jesus did for us on the cross Thank you, Jesus, for being willing to suffer and die for us. And as we celebrate your resurrection this morning and today, we recognize that the reason you had to be raised is because you had to die. And that was because of us. And instead of living in shame over that, we receive your forgiveness. We receive your adoption into your family as your children, and we thank you, Lord, for that. 
pray that you would help, to, help us to keep the cross and the empty tomb at the forefront of our mind all throughout the year. To the cross I look To the cross I cling Of its suffering I do drink Of its work I do
pray, Lord, that as we today celebrate your resurrection, we thank you that that same power that raised Jesus from the dead is at work in us, according to the scriptures. That same power that raised Jesus from the dead is at work in us right now. Pray, Lord, that you would help us to be more mindful of that and cooperate with that resurrection power every single day. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would fill us up with that strength through your Holy Spirit. The things around us would come back to life because of you. Because everywhere we go, we carry you with us, Jesus. Moon and stars, they wept. The morning sun was dead. Savior of the world was fallen. His body on the cross, his blood poured out for us. The weight of every curse upon him.
didn't just give up your life for us, but you defeated death itself and rose again. We thank you, Lord. We sing hallelujah. We sing hallelujah. We sing hallelujah. Lamb has overcome. We sing hallelujah. We sing hallelujah. We sing hallelujah. Lamb has overcome. We sing hallelujah. We sing hallelujah. We sing death on the cross and your resurrection are things that you had planned since before we were even created, before the foundation of the world. You knew mankind would sin and fall, and you made a plan to rescue us and to adopt us into your family so that we would be daughters and sons of the Most High God, because that was your desire, and we thank you for that. We thank you that you have never stopped pursuing us 
with your love. A love that brought you to the cross and a love that brought you back on Easter morning. you want. 
incredible, reckless love. It pursued us all the way to the cross and into a tomb. Jesus, that on your way to the cross, you were wounded so that we could have healing here in this life. It says, by your wounds, we are healed. So we receive the healing that you already paid for, for our lives right now in Jesus' name. We receive that healing. Help teach us how to walk into that. Lord, I pray that people would be able to turn to Christians for healing in these days. Physical healing. Yeah, even from coronavirus. Why not? And other stuff. Anything. Cancer. Missing limbs. Pray that you would anoint your people with your anointing for healing, Lord Jesus. I pray that that resurrection power power of life would flow through us to everywhere we go, to everyone we meet, whether we meet them in person or online or on the phone. I pray that that resurrection power and that life would flow through us. That we would be your body, that we'd be your hands and feet, your hands that reach out to heal. We thank you, Lord, that you have risen pray that this year, 2020, wouldn't be a year we'd look on as just horrible. But in the midst of that horrible stuff, we'd look back and say, that was the year that Jesus rose in my heart in a way that he never has before. many of you have prayer requests as well um, please let us know what those are you can let us know on Facebook you can email me um, text me whatever you need to do uh, we want to be praying for you so please keep in touch and let us know and remember that after the service today we will be having lunch together by zoom and the uh, information for that is on the website on the live page um, there's a link there to click to join us for zoom chat for lunch and we're gonna be having communion together during lunch and if you don't have bread and wine on hand, don't worry about it. We'll make do. Uh, but we'll do communion together uh, after the service during lunch and then have some fellowship time before we spend the rest of Easter with our families. And so Pastor Paul is going to share a children's sermon now. So all the kids, maybe get closer to the computer, TV, phone, whatever you're watching on. Um, get, get to a place where you can see and hear what's going on, kiddos, because Pastor Paul's got something awesome for you. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. 
Now I want you to say the second part. I want to hear you. Christ is risen. Now a little louder. Christ is risen. Good job. I'm going to start with a children's story. I'm sorry I don't have Ducky here. Ducky is missing his dummy, Steve. I mean, Steve is not the dummy. The duck is the duck. The duck is the dummy duck. But Steve is not here, and so I'm going to read a story, and it's a very touching Easter story, and it's called, What Was in Jeremy's Egg? And kids, I want you to gather together and listen to the story, and then tell your mom and dad what is the point of the story. It's a very wonderful story about a boy named Jeremy. Jeremy was born with a twisted body, a slow mind and a chronic illness that had been slowly killing him all his young life. Still, his parents tried to give him as normal a life as possible and had sent him to St. Teresa's Elementary School. At the age of 12, Jeremy was only in second grade, seemingly unable to learn. His teacher, Doris Miller, often became exasperated with him. He would squirm in his seat, drool, and make grunting noises. At other times, he spoke clearly and distinctly, as if a spot of light had penetrated the darkness of his brain. Most of the time, however, Jeremy irritated his teacher. One day, she called his parents and asked them to come to St. Teresa's for a consultation, a meeting. As the foresters sat quietly in the empty classroom, Doris said to them, Jeremy really belongs in a special school. It isn't fair to him to be with younger children who don't have learning problems. Well, there's a five-year gap between his age and that of the other students. Mrs. Forrester cried softly into a tissue while her husband spoke. Miss Miller, he said, there's no school of that kind nearby. It would be a terrible shock if Jeremy were to be taken out of school. We know he really likes it here. Doris sat for a long time after they left, staring at the snow outside the window. Its coldness seemed to seep into her soul. She wanted to sympathize with the foresters. After all, their only child had a terminal illness. But it wasn't fair to keep him in her class. She had 18 other youngsters to teach, and Jeremy was a distraction. Furthermore, he would never learn to read or write. Why waste any time trying? As she pondered the situation, guilt washed over her. Oh, God, she said aloud. Here am I complaining about my problems. They're nothing compared with that poor family. Please help me be more patient with Jeremy. From that day on, she tried hard to ignore Jeremy's noises and his blank stares. Then one day, he limped to her desk, dragging his bad leg behind him. I love you, Miss Miller, he exclaimed loudly enough for the whole class to hear. The other children snickered and Doris's face turned red. She stammered, why, that's very nice, Jeremy. Now please take your seat. Spring came, and the children talked excitedly about the coming of Easter. Doris told them the story of Jesus, and then to emphasize the idea of new life springing forth, she gave each of the children a large plastic egg. 
Now, she said to them, I want you to take this home and bring it back tomorrow with something inside that shows new life. Do you understand? Yes, Miss Miller, the children responded enthusiastically, all except for Jeremy. Now, I want you kids listening. If that were to happen with you and you were to fill an egg, what would you put inside it? He just listened intently. His eyes never left her face. He did not even make his usual noises. Had he understood what she had said about Jesus' death and resurrection? Did he understand the assignment? Perhaps she should call his parents and explain the project to them. That evening, Dora's kitchen sink stopped up. She called the landlord and waited an hour for him to come and unclog it. By that time, she'd still had to shop for groceries, iron a blouse, and prepare a vocabulary test for the next day. She completely forgot about phoning Jeremy's parents. The next day, 19 children came to school laughing and talking as they placed their eggs in the large wicker basket on Miss Miller's desk. After they completed their math lesson, it was time to open the eggs. In the first egg, Doris found a flower. Oh yes, a flower is certainly a sign of new life, she said. When plants pink peek through the ground, we know that spring is here. A small girl in the first row waved her arms. That's my egg, Miss Miller, she called out. The next egg contained a plastic butterfly which looked very real. Doris held it up. We all know that a caterpillar changes and grows into a beautiful butterfly. Yes, that is new life too. Little Judy smiled proudly and said, Miss Miller, that one is mine. Next, Doris found a rock with moss on it. She explained that the moss too showed life. Billy spoke from the back of the classroom. My daddy helped me, he beamed. Then Doris opened the fourth egg. She gasped. The egg was empty. Surely it must be Jeremy, she thought. And of course, she did not understand. He did not understand her instructions. If only she had not forgotten to phone his parents. Because she did not want to embarrass him, she quietly set the egg aside and reached for another. Suddenly, Jerry, Jeremy spoke up. Miss Miller, aren't you going to talk about my egg? Flustered, Doris replied, but Jeremy, your egg is empty. He looked into her eyes and said softly, yes, but Jesus' tomb was empty too. Time stopped. When she could speak again, Doris asked him, do you know why the tomb was empty? Oh, yes, Jeremy explained. Jesus was killed and put in there. Then his father raised him up. The recess bell rang. While the children excitedly ran out to the schoolyard, Doris cried. The cold inside her melted completely away. Three months later, Jeremy died. Those who paid their respects at the mortuary were surprised to see 19 eggs on the top of his casket, all of them empty. So now you kids, you talk that over 
with mom and dad and see what kind of egg you might have brought and why Jeremy's egg was so special. Okay, let's look into the scriptures. I'm going to look at the resurrection encounters that Jesus had after he rose from the dead. The resurrection changed everything, turning skeptics into believers and mighty guards into wimps. So who do you expect Jesus to go for? Wouldn't it be neat if he went after Pilate, that wimp? who could have released him. God even spoke to his wife in a dream, gave her a dream to take Pilate off the hook. But he gave in to a noisy crowd. And we say in the Apostles' Creed, suffered under Pontius Pilate. Didn't have to be that way. Or what if he went to the Sanhedrin at one of their meetings, showed up and said, hi, fellas, that would have scared the daylights out of him. But that's not the way Jesus operates. He will one day. He is the judge of all the earth, the Bible says. And he will one day have the whole human race standing before him. And one by one, he will announce their verdict. And he will say to many, well done good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. And those of us who have followed Jesus and claimed him as Lord and lived in the shadow of his death and resurrection will spend eternity with him. But people like the Sanhedrin and Pilate will be cast out into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus goes to his team he goes to build up, not to tear down, to reinstate, not to exclude. So who did he choose first? Not the disciples. He chose a group of women, first one, then a couple others. Women were second rate in the eyes of the men. They didn't even believe the two women who came back from the tomb and reported that Jesus was alive. The tomb was empty. And way to go, disciples, they didn't even believe her. Jesus came first of all to Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons. Does that mean that she was immoral? Not at all. Maybe it was her parents. For whatever reason, she was filled with darkness, and Jesus brought light into her life, healing her and delivering her from demons. And she was forever grateful. And now she came to pay tribute to a dead Messiah. When the angel appeared and told them that the tomb was empty and that he's alive, two ran back to tell the disciples, and she lingered. How kind, how merciful of Jesus to come to her. She didn't know who it was at first, thought it was the gardener. But then he spoke and said, Mary. And she knew. And she paid tribute not to a dead Messiah, 
but to a living Lord. Second, Jesus appeared to two other women. Notice, men, that the women are first in this resurrection story. Women often were accompanying Jesus. It says in Luke 8 that they accompanied him on many of his missions. Some women supported him with their means. I bet they'll have a special seat in heaven. These women were not the high and mighty, but the low and meekly, and Jesus showed his regard for them, how special they were to him by going first to Mary and then to two other women. Then he goes thirdly to Peter. No one believed that Peter would deny his Lord. And not even Peter, especially Peter. It was impossible for that to happen. He vowed, said it three times, I will never deny you. And then he did it, not once, but three times. And he felt like a loser. And nothing would change. He knew that he was done when Peter was depressed. But now he heard that something had happened in the tomb. He ran to the tomb. John beat him, looked in, believed, and left. Peter wasn't sure. And at some point then, Jesus showed up on that first day, the resurrection day, to Peter. Not to rebuke him, but to reclaim him. Peter would become the most important leader in the Jerusalem church. He would write about the suffering that he didn't want to have. He said, it won't happen to us. Well, he only said that once because Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. He was being used by Satan for this picture of it's a happy life and everything goes good and God always does good for you and you're you're always on top of things, never under things. Now Peter spoke about suffering and the struggles. He said, don't be surprised at the fiery trials which will try you. In chapter 5, he says, humble yourself. Oh, proud Peter found humility, and he lived a humble life. And he said, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due times. The angels had told the women, go tell his disciples and Peter. God was thinking about Peter in his sorrow and in his guilt and came to reinstate him. The next group that Jesus came to were the men on the way to Emmaus, it was a walk of about 10 miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking about the things that had happened during that week. And a stranger came up and walked next to them. And uh, he heard them talking and he asked what they were talking about. And they said, well, you don't know? Are you the only one in Jerusalem that doesn't know all the things that happened? He said, what? 
And they told him about this one who was supposed to be the Messiah, and he was dead. And after they taught for a while, he said, Oh, foolish men and slow of heart, all to believe that was written by the prophets. Did not the Christ have to suffer and enter into his glory? And then he gave them basically a walk through the Bible seminar. And later they said, did not our hearts burn within us as they talked to us on the way? So they got to their place and he was going to walk on or so it looked. And they said, oh, no, you stay with us. It's getting late. And so he came and stayed with them. And as they were eating, beginning to eat, he took and held up the bread and as he did, the eyes of the two men were opened, and they saw who he was, and he vanished from their sight. And they took off, hot-footed it back, this, oh, it was about six and a half miles, that's what it was. It was the 10K. And so they ran their 10K that night back to tell the disciples, and the disciples did not believe them either. Oh my, we got a problem here with these disciples. Next, Jesus appeared on the evening of Resurrection Day to the disciples minus Thomas. They were meeting behind locked doors. It was evening and they were there, afraid, unlike the women who braved it and went to the tomb. They were hiding out. And Jesus came in, rebuked them for their unbelief, but then gave them a commissioning. They thought they were going to get a court-martialing, and they got a commissioning as well. He said, Peace be to you, as the Father has sent me, even so I sent you. He was still willing to send them, even after their unbelief, leading up to this time, that it was going to happen, and then unbelief that he could rise from the dead after he was gone. Then a week later, Sunday night again, he appeared to Thomas and to the rest of the disciples. Thomas was missing the week before. And after he gave them again a commissioning, he went over to Thomas and he said, okay, Thomas. He's the one who said, unless I see uh, his hand prints, the, the scars in his hand and put my hand in his side, I will not believe. And so Jesus gave a mild rebuke for his unbelief and showed it to him. And Thomas said something very powerful, my Lord and my God. That may be the first time a person called Jesus God. Thomas left Israel and went to India. How did he get to India? Well, you've got to go through Iraq, Iran, Pakistan, and then you're in India, 2,800 miles 
away, according to tradition, good tradition. And he died there as a martyr. We have a school here in the Twin Cities called St. Thomas. Other schools, churches called St. Thomas, in honor of a man who doubted that when he believed, he really believed. All these so far happened right in Jerusalem. The next one happened in Galilee. It said, uh, the angels had said, he will see you in Galilee. And so they were up in Galilee. They were fishing. They'd fished all night. And when you fish all night, you don't want somebody to, if you haven't caught anything, you don't want someone to say, hey, have you caught anything? But he was on the shore, and he was, they said, about 100 yards away. That's a football field. So if you're one end of the football field, the other, you're not going to speak it. You're going to shout it. Do you have any fish? No. Well, I'm not sure you want somebody to instruct you on how to do it right. And they couldn't recognize Jesus. We think Jesus is in a white robe all the time and he's glowing. Judas was hired because they couldn't recognize Jesus late at night. He didn't glow in the dark and I don't think he wore a white robe. I think he blended into the crowd and here they didn't know it was Jesus 100 yards away. And so he said, throw, throw the nets over on the other side. They did and they caught a massive number of fish. And John said, it's the Lord. And so Peter takes off his outer garment, jumps in, swims to shore, beats them. And Jesus uses this moment to reinstate Peter once again with three declarations of faith as over against the threefold denial. How kind of Jesus to reinstate Peter. And let's remember now that Peter is going to be the main apostle in Jerusalem, along with the brother of Jesus, James. Next, he appears to over 500. This is the biggest group that he met with. And he commissioned them. What a service that must have been. These were people who would go out and witness to the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Most of them would not see him again after that commissioning service. But they will see him in heaven, and we will meet them as well and find out, oh yeah, we were there for that commissioning service in Galilee after Jesus rose from the dead. Then he appeared to his brother, James. Think about this one. What would that mean to have the ascended Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of the nations, come and say, hi, bro. I sure would like to hear about that one. What was James' response to his brother, who now became 
his Lord. James confessed faith in his brother, called him Lord. He wrote the epistle of James, the letter. And he was the, uh, one of the chief players in the Jerusalem church. If you read in Acts 15, the discussion that they had about Gentile inclusion, it was James who summarized it for the whole group. And um, so that, he, he was an outstanding leader. Interesting that his brother Jude, his younger brother Jude, wrote a letter as well. After James, then he met with the apostles one more time before he left. And they were asking questions about restoration. When would everything be restored? And Jesus wasn't thinking restoration. He was thinking revolution, renovation. And he said, it's not for you to know the times or the hours set by Jesus, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. In other words, wait in Jerusalem until you've uh, been filled with the Holy Spirit. They waited 10 days, and then he began to lift off from the earth. And as he did, their eyes turned up toward him, and they watched him go. And as he went, they couldn't believe it. He actually is gone. Oh, my. Do you still see him? Oh, yeah, I see him. I thought he might stay. Me, too. Oh, I can barely see him now. Can you see him? No, I, I lost him now. He's gone. He really did leave. And they were just stuck looking into heaven. The father finally sent an angel down to them. The angel said, why stand you gazing into heaven? The same one will come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. So they came back to Jerusalem. They were on the Mount of Olives when this happened. They Sabbath day's journey, and they went back to their homes and waited. Or actually, they came back to the upper room and waited for 10 days together and prayed until the Holy Spirit came. When the Holy Spirit came, they never wished for Jesus back. They never thought, oh, I wish he'd walk with us like he did. They knew he was at the right hand of the Father, and they rejoiced where he was and what they were called to do. And they bore mighty witness to the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ to the point of being beaten and sometimes eventually, like Peter and Thomas and James and others, slain for their faith, martyred for their belief in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There's one more that makes 11. All of these are listed. And then uh, Paul says, last of all, he appeared to me. 
These others came before his ascension, but he came to Paul after his ascension. We don't know how long afterwards. Scholars suggest maybe two to four years later. We know that Saul was the persecutor of the church before he became Paul. And he ran into someone who was stronger than he was on the way to Damascus to bring more into prison. And he fell to the ground and he was blinded. And he said, who are you, Lord? And Jesus, the resurrected and exalted Christ, said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. And Saul must have said, uh-oh. And then he said, what will you have me to do? And Jesus said, go into Jerusalem, or go into the, uh, the city, not Jerusalem, go into the city, and you will be told what you will be doing. Paul became the greatest apostle there ever was, bore mighty witness to the resurrection Jesus Christ. So, we could say, last of all, he appeared to me. Or you might say, last of all, he appeared to you. He has come to you to show you his power and to fill you with his Holy Spirit so that you can be a witness as well to his death and resurrection. So I want to pray for you this wonderful Easter Sunday, this resurrection Sunday, that as you are filled with the Holy Spirit, that you too would bear witness to the death and resurrection of Christ, and even in the midst of hardship and perhaps suffering, we don't know. We may be in for some suffering. The disciples certainly were. Paul certainly was. And that only caused them to love him more. And so, Father, we thank you for the life, death, and resurrection of your Son, Jesus Christ, his exaltation to the right hand of the Father. We put our trust in him in this season, this difficult season, this season when people are wondering, what's going on? Why are so many people dying? What is this coronavirus? And we, we pray for answers for that. But beyond that, way beyond that, we pray that people would put their hope in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He is the eternal hope, far beyond getting a vaccine that will cure people, but getting hope eternal through Jesus Christ. And so I bless you. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord look upon you with his favor and grant you his peace. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. He is risen. Come on. Amen.